Let me read beginning at Luke 24, beginning at verse 49, and then, excuse me, 44, and then I'll read through verse 49. This was right after Jesus had appeared and spoken with the apostles and eaten a piece of bread in their presence. We read, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Amen. Well, let's pray that the Lord will bless the preaching of his word this morning to all of our hearts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and that it is a shelter in a storm for us and that it is a light to our path. But we're conscious that we won't see any light upon our path from your word unless the Holy Spirit does in our eyes and our hearts what we read that he did here in that upper room, that he opened their understanding. And so send your Holy Spirit, Father, to us now. Help me to preach your word faithfully and clearly and help us all to understand your word. We pray even that you would come upon those who sit in darkness at this moment. May they end this service sitting with the light of the Holy Spirit of God through your word shining upon them. And we ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we began to consider this passage that I read, and I had actually hoped when I started my studies last week to get through verse 49, and I thought for sure that we would today, but I'll tell you at the front end, we're not going to get through verse 49. I'm not just trying to make it drag out as long as possible, though I have to confess I will miss preaching on Luke's gospel, but... Uh, there will at least be another couple of weeks, God willing. But let me remind you what we, of what we saw so far. Last week, we saw Jesus, the disciples, and the scriptures, or we began to look at that. That was verses 44 through 47. And we saw that Jesus reminds the disciples, first of all, he reminds them that they had heard all about these strange events before. That's in verse 44, where he says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. They had all heard about these strange events before. And we saw that these events were all the purpose of God. He reminded them of that. 
And then he reminded them that it was all about him. He said that these things were in the Old Testament concerning him. But we'll go back to verse 27. Remember what we saw when Jesus was with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It was all about him. The whole Bible is about him. The whole program of God is all about him. God's saving work is all about Jesus Christ because he is the one who came into this world to save his people from their sins. And then we considered in verse 45 that Jesus enlightens the disciples. Verse 44, he reminds the disciples. Verse 45, he enlightens the disciples. It says, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then we came to verses 46 and 47. And what we have there is Jesus commissions the disciples. And really the commissioning of the disciples goes through verse 49. That's why I read through verse 49. And I would outline those verses this way. Jesus commissioning of the disciples. First of all, the message, verses 46 and verse 47. And then the messengers, that's verse 48. And then the power, that's verse 49. God willing, next time we'll consider the messengers and the power. Today I just want to finish up on the message. And I will not forget that I said some things about that last time, but I've just uh, done a reorganization in my outline at this point, and I'll, I'll give you that. So the message, verses 46 and 47, we'll start out by looking at its prophetic origin, its prophetic origin at the beginning of verse 46. He says, it says, then he said to them, thus it is written. What was written? Well, that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And when he says, it is written, what he's saying is that this, this program that the apostles were to follow in carrying out Jesus' commission of them is that it was all written in the Old Testament. It was written in the Law of Moses, as it says in verse 45, and the prophets and the Psalms. It was all there. In fact, Paul said this that uh, in his Epistle to the Romans, chapters one, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, The gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So everything that he preached as an apostle, he was saying, was all there in the Old Testament. It was obscure, not nearly as clear and straightforward as it is in the New Testament, in the Epistle to the Romans, for instance, or in the Gospel accounts. But it was there. That's what Jesus is saying here. It is written there. Well, what was written there? Well, in verse 46, the last part of verse 46, he's telling them what's written there. He's saying that it was necessary that the Christ suffer, first of all. Think of Isaiah 53, one of the places it's most clearly written in the Old Testament. Speaking of Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, it says, He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. It is written there that he must suffer, that the Christ had to suffer. And it was also written, the next part of verse 46, that he had to rise from the dead the third day. Well, when Jesus wanted to prove to the Sadducees that it was in the Bible that he had to rise from the dead, remember where he went? Exodus chapter 3, the passage about the burning bush and Moses. And he said there, quoting that passage, that it says that I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. In other words, I'm the God of the living, not of the dead. Those men are going to rise again. And therefore, the resurrection is taught there. And there are other texts in the Old Testament, certainly. But let's remember as well, as I said last week, that the entire fabric of the Old Testament is teaching these truths as well, especially from our new covenant perspective. We can look back there and see this and that that are all pointing to these truths of Christ's suffering and then his rising from the dead. And then verse 47, where it says also... Another thing foretold there is that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, that's Jesus' name, to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Was that foretold in the Old Testament? Of course it was. Let's focus especially on the all nations. Look there at verses 46 and 47, and then just listen as I read a couple of Old Testament passages to you. One of them is Genesis 22 and verse 18, where God is making promises to Abraham about the covenant that he has made with him. And here's what he tells him about that covenant, that because of that covenant, he says to Abraham in Genesis 22, in your seed, that is one of your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Well, he would be preaching. His name would be preached to all nations, Jesus says here in verse 47. And then listen to Isaiah at the beginning of chapter 2, the prophecy of Isaiah. He says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And other passages could be used. We could multiply passages. But the point is that the gospel of Christ and the mission that Jesus was sending his apostles on had a prophetic origin. It was foretold in the Old Testament. But then let's notice also about this message, its content. Its content. It's in the last part of verse 46. And in verse 47, let's start out with the things that are in verse 46, and that is its central doctrines, its content in terms of its central doctrines. 
And we saw this already last time. First of all, there's the crucifixion, that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. And we saw last time how Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, at the beginning of the chapter there, especially those first four words, they echo Jesus' words here. The text here says that the Christ had to suffer. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer. Again, look at verse 46, and as I read 1 Corinthians 15, just from verses 3 and 4, notice the similarities here. Christ suffered once, excuse me, I delivered to you, Paul says, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried. So it was written Jesus says here that the Christ should suffer. And that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel, in a sense. Paul says that his message was what? The message of the cross. That's the gospel. Peter stated it this way. He was there that day and he heard Jesus' words. But here's what he wrote in 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ came into the world in the flesh, as Peter says. He became a real man. He was put to death by God the Father who was punishing sin in him so they wouldn't have to punish the sinners who trust in Jesus Christ in hell. That's the gospel message. He suffered once, as Peter said, the just, the perfectly sinless man. For sinners like us, who we could say were perfectly sinful, the just suffered for the unjust. Why? To bring us to God. That's the message of the gospel. And that's what Jesus did. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, that in the cross where Jesus suffered, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He was at odds with us because of our sins. But in the cross of Christ, in Jesus' suffering, he reconciled the world to himself. So the first part of its central doctrines, the cross of Christ. The second part is the resurrection. And again, we saw this last time, so let me just say a few words about it. The text says it this way. The Christ had to rise from the dead the third day. And this is something else, the resurrection of Christ that Paul said he had received. He didn't receive it this day the way the other apostles did, but he received it from Jesus nonetheless. He received from Jesus and then delivered to his hearers, what? That he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Just what Jesus said here. That's what Paul is saying was his message. This, these are the central doctrines of it, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And you see how it's the central doctrine, the central point, along with the crucifixion of the preaching of the gospel that especially comes out in the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, when Christ sent the Spirit to the church, that's what Peter especially preached on this day, that Christ rose from the dead. You killed him, God raised him up. 
It's a central message of the gospel. That's what Paul was still preaching in Athens when he went to Athens and preached. The, they, he said, in, in, we're told that people said about Paul's preaching in Athens that he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. They couldn't understand the resurrection. It's almost as if they thought the resurrection was some other foreign god. But the point is, it was that much the heart of Paul's message. That was a distinctive note of it, along with the name of Jesus. Well, that's what we believe. We believe it's the heart of the gospel message. We're not ashamed of it as 21st century Christians. It's what we believe. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the resurrection is something that you need to believe if you want your sins forgiven. So Jesus highlights then these two elements of his work that form the heart of the gospel message. There's its content in terms of its central doctrines. But now let's notice the content of this message in terms of its practical force. That's verse 47. So not only were they to preach that Christ had to suffer and rise, verse 46, but also this in verse 47, and I'm calling it its practical force, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So there's something else that was foretold in the Old Testament, that the gospel would be preached to all nations, and it would be preached in terms of repentance and remission of sin. So the content of the message is not just certain doctrines or historical facts like the cross and the resurrection, but it also contains this in terms of what I'm calling its practical force. And the first is that repentance would be preached. Repentance would be preached. It's not enough to just hear the gospel, in other words. It's not enough to just accept the fact that Christ died for sins and that he actually did rise from the dead and to acknowledge that that is true. That's not enough to be saved from your sins. Here's the content of the gospel, we could say, in terms of the action items. And the action items, we could say, of the gospel, Jesus summarizes here in one word, repentance. That's the action item, if you will. In other words, preachers are not just going to come and preach that the creator of the world, the king of the world, came into the world to die on the cross and save men who are sinners. They're going to preach that. But the point is, that message then demands a response. And the response, the action item, is summarized in that word, repentance. And the word repentance means change. It's expressed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 when Paul talks about how the gospel came to the people of Thessalonica and he says that they turned, it's another word for repentance, they turned from idols, turned away from them, to the living God. That's repentance. 
fact, I say repentance is really a summary word here because you say, well, wouldn't you summarize the, the, the message of the Bible, the action item, by saying believe? And I would say yes. And sometimes the, the Bible does just that. But sometimes it does it like this. And we know that all real belief in Christ involves repentance, turning from sin to God. That's belief. That's biblical saving faith. And all real repentance, saving repentance, includes belief. You turn, like the Thessalonians, away from idols to God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That's the change that the gospel demands. What kind of change? Well, if you read your Bible and I say, what does repentance involve? And I'm not going to lay it all out for you, but I'm just telling you. It involves first a change of mind. That's what the word repentance means, one of the main biblical words. Think of how it was illustrated in the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, this prodigal, he was a prodigal because he went and he wasted all of his inheritance that his father gave him early just because he wanted it, because of his self-centered desire to go and fulfill all his lusts. He went and wasted it all. And finally he was sitting there in a pig pen, with literally with pigs, longing for their food because there was a famine And the Bible says he came to himself. Or we would say it this way. He came to his senses. He had a change of mind. He says, what a fool I have been. What am I doing sitting here like this when I could be in my father's house? And he had a change of mind. And he said, finally, it dawned on him, that would be far, far better than the things I've been doing and living in lately. He had a change of mind. That's what repentance involves. You have to come to yourself spiritually. And then it also involves then a change of allegiance. We see that, for instance, in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus met that man Zacchaeus, the tax collector who climbed the tree. He had some allegiances before the day he met Jesus. They weren't to God. They weren't to the Old Testament scriptures. They were to himself, his bank account. They were to the Roman government, which was his source of his luxurious living that he had because he was a tax collector. And he had a change of allegiance that day so that he no longer cared first and foremost about his bank account or what his Roman authorities and superiors told him he should do when he goes out and does his tax-collecting work anymore. His allegiance became allegiance to Jesus Christ. Jesus constantly expressed that in his preaching, didn't he? Come, follow me, he would say. You have to have a change of mind, you have to have a change of allegiance, and you have to have a change of conduct. That is what is involved in biblical repentance. You see that in the prodigal son. You see that in Zacchaeus. You have to leave your life of greed and immorality and self-centeredness. That's what repentance is. And that's what the Bible calls upon you to do. 
It's important to know that all four of these things that are part of this message, all four of them, the cross, resurrection, repentance, and forgiveness of sins, all four of those things we could say are hallmarks of the authentic gospel. That means I, as a preacher, need to preach them all. And that means you, as a hearer, need to repent if you are going to be saved. You have to change your mind about this world and the things in it and about God, about sin and about righteousness, about falsehood and about truth. You have to change your allegiance from whatever things in this world that you love and are gripping as tightly as you can and won't let go of to lay hold of Jesus Christ. And you have to change your conduct and turn away from your sins and do righteousness following the Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of the gospel message. You need to repent if you're going to be saved. You know, everything that happens in the world happens for a reason. Do you believe that? It's true. That's true of COVID-19. It has happened for a reason. That's true regarding the way that your life has been completely upset because of COVID-19, along with everyone else's life. Have you taken the time in these recent weeks to ask why? Why might God be doing this? I'll give you an answer. To get people's attention? To get your attention? To get my attention? I believe that, that God has done this to get my attention. And I've asked God, what message are you sending to me during this crisis? What things do I need to change in my life today? What should I stop doing, Lord? In other words, what sins are there in my life that I've been overlooking? What should I be doing or thinking that I have not been doing or not thinking? I don't, I don't look at this crisis and look out the window or watch the evening news and say, you know, these people out there, they need to think. No, I say, I need to think. I don't say, I'm a good Christian. I don't say, I'm a preacher. I don't need to change anything. No. And if I need to ask those questions, what about you? I don't mean I'm better than you by definition. Well, it's not what I mean. I especially mean if you are not even a Christian, what about you? Shouldn't you be asking yourself some questions? Asking those questions before God? You don't love God. You don't serve God. You may not even pretend to do that. Maybe you don't even give God much thought at all during a typical day. Maybe you never give him any thought. At this time in your life, 
at this time in the history of the world, you should be asking yourself some straightforward, tough, searching questions. For instance, why don't you think about God? You should ask yourself, why do you have so many idols in your life? And by idols, I don't mean you have some statue that you bow down to and pray to in a private room in your house. I mean things or people that you love and you serve and you will do anything to have or to get those things, but you would never do that with God. You don't love Him. You don't serve Him. Or you should ask yourself a question like this. Why do you think life is all about you and only about you? Why do you care so little for others unless maybe they're your friends or your family and you really love them, but but everybody else? Why do all your important decisions come down to what I want, what I like, what is best for me? Never do they come down to what God says and what God wants and what is good for other people. You should ask yourself, how long will I go on living like this, so self-centered? Especially when God seems to be shouting for my attention and clapping his hands to get you to wake up. How long will you go on? May God, the Holy Spirit, through this crisis, alarm you enough so that you start asking yourself questions like these. I believe God is teaching everyone through this crisis. He's teaching us if we'll have ears to hear. I think he's teaching us all that the things of this world really don't matter all that much. I think he's teaching you that your 401k can disappear in a moment. And he's teaching you that life is short and it can end suddenly and unexpectedly no matter who you are. And since ultimately this virus doesn't come from some bat or some market in the Far East or some laboratory or some corrupt government, I say ultimately it doesn't come from any of those places. Ultimately it comes from the God of heaven. And since it comes from him, he can use not just preachers like me to get his message out, but he can use ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, CNN, and the BBC to bring it into your living room. And he can use iHeartRadio and TuneIn and Radio.com to stream it into your kitchen and your bedroom and your bathroom all day, every day. So are you listening? Are you listening to what God is teaching at this time? This last week I heard a governor saying, 
It's better to be six feet apart than to be six feet under. Trying to explain why we need to stay six feet apart or more. I say it this way. There's nothing wrong with being six feet under so long as you don't die six seconds before you started thinking about these things that I'm talking about. You should be thinking about these eternal realities. And there's nothing wrong either with being six feet under as long as you're six feet under with Jesus. If you die in faith in Jesus Christ, there's nothing to worry about if your life is snuffed out, whether by COVID-19 or a semi-truck as you're trying to cross the road or whatever it may be. Jesus said, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And the answer to both those questions is nothing. It will profit you nothing if you gain the whole world. If you come out of the coronavirus uh, shutdown better and stronger economically than you ever were before because you were so savvy and so ready for this and so ahead of the crowd, it won't matter. It will profit you nothing in the end. And there's nothing that you can give to save your soul. May God open your eyes to these truths during these days. May he open your eyes before it's too late. I dislike this crisis as much as anyone. I don't want to use it to my advantage as a preacher in some unkind or uncaring way and make everybody more scared than they already are. That's not my point. I dislike this as much as anyone. I do not want to hear any more stories about people dying alone in hospitals or nursing homes and they can't see friends or relatives during their last hours and days. I don't want to hear nurses having to plead that they need personal protective equipment. I don't want to hear reports of nursing home residents or emergency medical workers or public transportation workers or workers in meat plants dying. I don't want to hear reports about people's businesses going under. I don't want to hear reports about drug addictions skyrocketing or divorces skyrocketing or suicides skyrocketing. I don't want to read any more reports about pastors getting arrested for worshiping while liquor stores and abortion clinics are open. But when I pray these days, I don't just pray, Stop this, Lord. I do pray that. But I also pray, But not my will but your will be done. And then I've been praying this. It's been one of my most frequent petitions in recent days as I pray about this virus. I've been praying, but Lord, don't end this crisis until you have fulfilled every 
purpose that you have designed this virus, that you have designed this calamity to bring about. If you are not a Christian, may God use these days to alarm you and awaken you and cause you to seek him while there is still hope. That is my prayer for you. So the first part of the practical force of the message that Jesus was sending the apostles out to proclaim was this note of repentance. You need to turn from your sins and yourself and plead with God to God for mercy and trust in Jesus Christ, his Son. But then the second part of this practical force is remission of sins. Not only would repentance be preached, but remission of sins would be preached. Verse 46, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance should be preached, and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So remission of sins has to be preached. The action item part of the gospel was repentance. We could say this is the blessings of the gospel, the blessings that would be announced. Remission of sins is not the only blessing that's announced in the gospel. Maybe it's not the chief blessing. Some people say the chief blessing of the gospel is the gift of the Holy Spirit. I won't argue with that. But I wouldn't argue either with the people that say the chief blessing is the remission of sins. Remission of sins means the pardoning of sins, the cancellation of the debt that our sins are, that we owe to God. We owe God a debt because of our sins. And Jesus says it's what's going to be preached in his name throughout all the world is the forgiveness of sins. Remission of sins would be preached. That's part of the heart of the gospel. But remission of sins doesn't come to everyone in the world. It doesn't come even to everyone who hears the gospel. But it does come to everyone who truly repents of his sins and in faith embraces the crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how these things all fit together. Paul said it this way when he was preaching the gospel in the book of Acts in chapter 13. He was in a Gentile city. And he said this, he said, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that this man, Jesus Christ, that in the, through this man, Jesus Christ, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He's telling that to Jews. And those were people who thought that if we just do what the law says, we can be justified. Just like many people in this world, they're not Jews and maybe they're not even Christians. But they just think that for some reason, if they will be better than their neighbor, that's their ticket to heaven. And that's not. It's through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and repentance and forgiveness of sins. And so forgiveness of sins means that God will not hold against you 
anything that you've done. If he forgives your sins, he will wash them all away. It's one of the pictures in the Bible. That your, your garments will be washed and they will be made white as snow. It's a picture of what God does to the soul of someone that he saves. We heard preaching on this, uh, I think it was maybe two weeks ago, one or two weeks ago, two weeks ago I think it was, from Pastor Smith. Micah chapter 7. And one of the pictures there is that God would take our sins and he would cast it into the depths of the sea. And our sins will never return from there anymore. What a blessed, blessed truth. That's the gospel message that Jesus said would be preached in his name, the remission of sins. It's a common expression uh, that I hear in elders' meetings, whether we're just meeting among ourselves or sometimes meeting with other people. Common expression when there's been a sin in tongue or if there's been a sin in the past, maybe in deed, and we're talking about it there. And the common expression is this, I freely and fully forgive you. And one of the reasons that that's a common expression is because that's the way we should forgive one another. And the reason we should forgive one another that way, freely, in other words, you know, just all you had to do was say, forgive me, brother. That's it. And no more. You don't need to pay me anything. You don't need to do anything for me. You don't need to prove how repentant you are. I forgive you freely. And I forgive you fully. In other words, I'm not holding anything back. You might sin against me the same way tomorrow. You might sin against me the same way in five minutes. But I, as of right now, fully forgive you. God throws our sins into the heart of the sea. I'm going to try with all my might to do that and never hold it against you. And that's a common expression among us because we know that that kind of forgiveness is a mirror of the way God forgives us. So whoever you are, Whatever your life is like, you need to know that the thing that separates you from God is just one thing. That's it. And that thing is your sin. Look with me back at Isaiah 59 for a moment. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. It's stated very well in the prophecy of Isaiah. Chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, Isaiah says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. The problem with sinners going to hell and being lost in their transgressions and sins is not with God. His hand isn't shortened that he cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. That'll never be your problem that you didn't shout loud enough or pray hard enough. But your iniquities, that's a Bible word for sins, your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. That's it. That's the thing that has put the wall between you and God. That's why you don't want to talk about Him or think about Him. 
let alone talk to him. And so this is your great need here, what I'm preaching about right now, remission of sins. You need your sins removed, and if your sins are removed, the wall will be gone because your sins are the wall. That's the message of the gospel. That's what Jesus said to the apostles. They should go out and preach. Remission of sins is your great need, and I urge you to put your trust in the Savior who suffered for sins and then rose for his people for their justification. As the book of Romans says, put your faith in him and ask God to forgive you through Jesus Christ. I've seen pictures in recent days of people who went to nursing homes and they went to the outside the window of their loved ones who were inside the nursing homes. I saw one of a man whose wife was in there. I saw one of uh, a woman whose uh, mother was there. And she and her husband were there trying to give, hold up signs and trying to touch hands through the window and singing over the phone together to someone in a nursing home because of COVID-19. If you end up in a hospital with COVID-19, who will come to you and preach the gospel to you and call you to repent? Will you even be in a first-floor room in case someone wanted to do that? Will it be too late for you if you end up in a hospital room? Breathing with a respirator? I trust that right now, it's not too late for you. And so I urge you to confess your sins and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you today. I urge you to do it. Well, there is the content of the Apostle's message. Now let me just conclude this this morning with its worldwide extent. I didn't get to all the words there yet. In verse 47, but let's notice its worldwide extent. How far would they be preaching this gospel? Just to Jews? No. Just to the city of Jerusalem? Absolutely not. It says that repentance and remission of sins, verse 47, should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. It will go to all nations. We had the content of the gospel message. Here's its worldwide extent, how far it will go. All nations. It's not just for the Jews. It's in the Old Testament that it was going far beyond the Jews, as I said. Now, it took the apostles, after they'd heard this, it took them a long time to really get the idea. You remember how in the book of Acts, Jesus told them that they need to be witnesses in Jerusalem, starting there, just like he says here, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we see that they did that in the book of Acts. Paul went everywhere he could. He went to Rome. Thought he might not make it at some points. But he made it to Rome. And he was ended up being able to say that this is the gospel, what I preach, that has been preached to every creature under heaven. 
of which I, Paul, became a minister. They preached it far and wide. It took them a long time, and they had to learn some painful lessons, like Peter with his vision and going to Cornelius and preaching to his household. And in Acts chapter 15, they had this big debate there in Jerusalem about whether the Gentiles needed to be circumcised and all that. But they learned it and they did it. That's how far the gospel should go, and it needs to go to every part of this world still. Because Jesus Christ died and rose, salvation is promised to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. You don't have to be born in a Christian country. You don't have to be born to a Christian family. You don't have to be an American. You don't have to be white. You don't have to be Jewish. Anybody and everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that reality is pictured throughout Luke's gospel. One picture is back in Luke 15, which I mentioned earlier. You have the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son turned from a life of partying and immorality to Jesus Christ, and he was saved and had all his sins washed away. There are a lot of sinners in the world today who are just like him. And then there was another sinner in that passage, wasn't there? He didn't repent, as far as we know. Not in the parable, he didn't. But that was his older brother. And he had religion. He had the religion of a good outward show. But he had a shriveled up, self-righteous, cold heart. And there are a lot of sinners in the world today who are just like him. And the message from Luke 24 to you today is this. Whatever kind of sinner you are, if you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ today, he will save you from your sins today and you will be with him forever and ever. No matter how long this crisis lasts, and no matter if you die from coronavirus. Well, there's Jesus' commission, the message, God willing, next time. The messengers and the power. Let's pray that the Lord will bless his word. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message of the cross. We thank you for the message that Jesus rose from the dead and triumphed over sin. And we thank you for the preaching of repentance and for the gift of repentance. And we thank you, Father, for the remission of sins. Turn sinners to yourself this day. Sinners who heard these words today. Sinners who have heard or will hear the message of the cross all throughout this earth today. And save them. And wash them. And make their garments white through the blood of the Lamb. For we ask it all in His name. Amen.